0: about faithfulness tonight, and so obviously we see this repeat theme of the different characteristics of the fruit over and over and over. Um, we, we already talked about self-control, this idea that the things you do do things to you, um, and, and the self is the enemy. We want to let go of ourselves and hang on to Christ, that idea that Christ can live through us, and we rethink and redefine self-control biblically uh, instead of the way the world might define it. We were able to look uh, at gentleness, the idea that it is a strong hand with a soft touch, the quality of kindness, um, and, and, and who is not inherently gentle like us. And again, that, that recurring theme that God is going to need to demonstrate this fruit through our lives. And so as we look at faithfulness, um, whenever I hear that word, um, two things come to mind that are not even close to similar. The first is uh, the question of what's the difference between faith and faithfulness? And then the second thing uh, is a movie called Field of Dreams. Okay? In 1989, Kevin Costner, this is the peak of Kevin Costner. Okay, uh, He's in this movie, uh, Field of Dreams, and it's about baseball. But when the first time I watched this movie, I'm sitting down with my dad. I'm unhappy. He's making me watch this non-cartoon movie. I said, what's this movie about? He said, it's about faith. And so I'm watching this, and I'm seeing all the baseball, and I'm like, what is he talking about? But... If you were to see Field of Dreams, or if you were, in my case, to rewatch it now time and time again, uh, he is an Iowa farmer working out in his cornfield, and a, a whisper through the, the corn says, uh, If you build it, he will come. That's the phrase. If you build it, he will come. And so he's like freaking out. What's, what sort of corn ghost is talking at me right now? Uh, and he starts to realize, uh, through wonderful plot points, That shoeless Joe Jackson, the ghost of this famous baseball player, uh, is still very much alive and around and wants him to turn his profitable cornfield into a baseball stadium. And so he struggles with how ridiculous that is. All these Iowa farmers are judging him and he's destroying his family's livelihood to build this baseball field so a ghost can appear to play baseball. Uh, The movie embraces it as being that silly, which is great. Um, And so... As you watch this movie, you start to see his wife get on board with this idea and the idea of them having faith that what, what they're being called to do is not only going to come to fruition, but they're going to actually be blessed by it. And so there's a wonderful happy baseball ending, right? But that, that phrase of if you build it, he will come talking about taking that step of faith and what that action looks like. And so that is the phrase that I always attribute to faithfulness, uh, that, that, okay, if we build something, he will come. So there's something to come. There's something that remains to be seen that we're going to talk about in a little bit, a little bit later in the talk. Uh, But what does that mean now? Well, that begs the question, what is the difference between faith and faithfulness? Um, And it's, it is as simple as the, the breakdown of those words, faith or the fullness of faith. But what's important to understand is faithfulness is not a saving faith. Salvation is. Um, when, when somebody wants to check in on a Christian, they don't often ask them, how's your salvation doing? Because that's a once thing. That's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Once saved, always saved. But it's how's your walk of faith? How is your faith being exemplified and being manifested? And so, faithfulness is living in accordance with a belief. That is, that is okay, now that I have accepted this truth, we'll use the, the wonderful, pristine example of our personal relationship, hopefully, with Jesus Christ... Uh, How am I going to live in accordance with that? Now that I have it, how ought I live with it? And so it brings up different debates. And so you start to look at other people's lives and theologies get thrown around where we compare and contrast who has the faith or who doesn't. Can we tell by their fruits? Can we tell by this? Can we tell by that? And what we're judging is not other people's faith. We are not of the spiritual realm. We are not Christ. We have nothing to do with their faith, but we do see faithfulness. We see how people are le- living and what they're living in accordance by. And so I want to go ahead and flip uh, first to Matthew 13 real quick um, and, and read uh, this parable um, and, and understand how faithfulness ties into this, especially as we try to uh, compare and contrast faith versus faithfulness and so how we can uh, refer to it here on out. Uh, in the talk. Matthew 13, the parable of uh, the sower. So Matthew 13, starting then, uh that same day, Jesus went out of the house, verse one, sat beside the sea. Great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat, sat down. Um, and he told them many things in parables saying this, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And so immediately they actually do spring up Since they had no depth of soil, they had nowhere to go but up, verse 6. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain: Some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And so it is at that point in the story uh, that he pauses the explanation of what in the world is this guy talking about? And so there's some dialogue back and forth on Uh, Jesus, what are you talking about? And he's saying, you should trust me no matter what I'm talking about. And he's teasing them a little bit. He's he's working with their brains. And so you move down uh, later on in this passage. The parable of the sower explained, verse 18. Here then, the parable of the sower, he repeats. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy yet has no root in himself but endures for a while and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word immediately he falls away stop right there we are not dealing with whether or not that is a seed whether or not that is faith in Jesus Christ what we are dealing with is the circumstances in which it's grown The faithfulness. How is the living in accordance? What what does that actually look like? Because the truth of the matter is, this parable is for Christians, and it's for us to realize, wait a second, where am I planted? What am I doing with the life-saving truth that I already have? Because there are people, there are faces that can be identified with this parable, even in Keystone. They come to Keystone for a while, and they receive it with joy, but the moment tribulation comes, they're out. And I'm not trying to accuse anybody, I'm not trying to say, look who's around here, they weren't planted in the right spot. But what I am saying is, this is self-reflection that we're called to here. We're called to realize, well, wait a second. Maybe my faith in Jesus Christ then, the moment of salvation, wasn't just to get away from the sin, it wasn't just to feel better about myself. But the moment inevitable trials come, I can understand where I'm rooted. And I can understand what I'm ultimately living for. And so faithfulness is huge because it is is living in accordance with that belief of what happened. Um, And so there's these different scenarios uh, that he kind of explains in the parable. And so what's good about this passage is he doesn't always do this. He doesn't give the parable, let them all dance a little bit, and then explain it thoroughly. Half the time he just switches towns, okay? But he keeps going. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. So not only that, but we can't measure each other because he's saying, no, that person might have this fruit, that person might have this fruit. The point is not to judge where people are at spiritually. The point is to say, where am I spiritually? And how am I called to serve? Because we're going to see the importance kind of uh, ingrained throughout this study of community, of that idea of as we let the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit bleed through us, it is also for each other. And so faithfulness in God deals with that. Um, There is one thing that is cool about faithfulness, cool about this fruit. Um, Obviously, God uh, attains all of the the, the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. But we have a prime example of faithfulness. And it's not Paul. It's not Moses. It's God. The way God is faithful is tremendously important. Go ahead and flip with me briefly to Deuteronomy 7. Uh, There's a couple verses I want to break down uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 7 through 9. Uh, this passage is talking about God's chosen people. Uh, and So we have a, a discussion question for later tonight that is going to help us not just understand faith versus faithfulness, but help us understand, well, wait a second, Caleb, what does faithfulness look like in the Old Testament compared to the New Testament? If it's all about this Jesus guy, what about the era of no Jesus? Well, I'll answer some of that right now. There's no such thing as an era with no Jesus, but we need to understand how God's faithfulness uh, primarily is all ultimately being displayed, no matter the time. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 through 9 say this. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Well, so what? Verse 9, so what? Know therefore that the Lord your God is in fact God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations so, we have a beautiful picture of because of God's faithfulness, we have the opportunity to reciprocate that idea, and it promotes fellowship with God. And so, we have that Old Testament example of God's chosen people, and that phrase, that meaning, becomes widened at the cross. Paul begins writing to Gentiles, and they're saying, I'm sorry, what? I'm relevant now? Yeah, you are. And so it is because of God's faithfulness that we have an opportunity to be faithful. So the sooner we can understand that, okay, I have this faith, I'm going to heaven, great. Well, what about bringing heaven here? What about now? How do I apply this? We have got to understand that not only is faithfulness living in accordance with belief that my life has been changed, but it's also a reflection of God's character. I am trying to emulate God in a a very real way. Uh, That story um, and an opportunity we have to realize that we have an example to follow. Um, the, the, the less um, clouded we can get in trying to figure out how we need to be faithful and instead just realize God has given us an example to do that, I think that is important for us to understand. Uh, this is all in response to the gospel. If faithfulness is in response to faith, we can understand that. And so in that story, the idea of, of God the Father, I mean, that, that is revolutionary. And so the sooner we can understand that, the sooner we can realize, well, yeah, I am changed by Christ to the point where a walk of faithfulness is actually not your choice. It's who you are now. It is our new nature. Uh, Living in accordance with your belief is actually what we're called to do, but it's what people tend to do anyway. And so an example to understand that further is the idea that nobody lives in a manner inconsistent with the way they perceive themselves. So what does that mean? Well, the way you look in the mirror and diagnose yourself, that's the way you're going to live. It's the way you're going to think. A mentor of mine uh, calls it ruts in the brain. And sometimes they're there from two years old. Sometimes they happen when you're 20. But it can cut deep. I promise you, everybody in this room has been cut deep somehow. And it probably has hindered our ability to be faithful because we believe something about ourselves that if we have accepted Jesus Christ is no longer true of ourselves. And so that rewires us, and it's so good, and it, it is stress-relieving. And so it, it helps further alleviate the idea that I need to do something to attain status with God. But you want to do something to continue status with God. That is the difference. And so the sooner we can understand that, I think, uh, the better. I do want to—we kind of already looked at Deuteronomy. Matthew 13 was almost just an introduction to the idea of faith versus faithfulness and understanding the importance of us being planted— Uh, I do want to look at Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Um, If you've been here recently or upstairs, uh, we did a six-sermon series called Our Captain Speaks. Uh, Pastor Don went through uh, this parable. Um, Good and faithful servant. Well, what what does that look like and what does that mean um, as far as our walk um, and and what we can do here? Um, Before verse 14, we see uh, Jesus answering, Truly I say to you, Uh, Watch therefore, for you uh, do not know the day nor the hour. And so it it directly addresses the question, what are we supposed to do while we're down here? What does faithfulness look like? What does living in beautiful expectation of you, God, look like? And so if you look at verses 14 to 30, uh, the parable of the talents comes up. For it will be like a man going on a journey. So our time as Christians here, waiting, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So he who had received the five went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So was doing something with it. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. He was doing something with it. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts. Where are we at with your faithfulness? With what I have given you, where are you at with it? I just gave you the saving blood of my son. Where are you at with it? Are you sitting on it? Are you soaking in it? Are you retiring with it? Or are you diversifying your portfolio? Are you investing it? Because there's a stock market of sinners out there that need it just like you did. That is what this parable is saying. Verse 20, And he who had received the five talents came forward for this account, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. What does his master say? Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. Stop right there. We are not at goodness yet, but we will be next week, okay? The way these tie together, I think, is so incredible. And so he says, you have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents for more, as master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over, over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Why is that important? Well, uh, the person who did things with five got the exact same response from God that the person who did things with two. So the person with two talents, no matter his comparison or struggle with jealousy or pride or maybe ignorance about the person that might have more talents, he uses what he's been given. Faithfulness is understanding where you're at and understanding where God can be through you. And what's beautiful is the way God responds to what we do with what we have. The story of a millionaire that gives hundreds and hundreds of dollars to the church is not as impressive as the person, the little kid walking into a church that has $5 and puts all of them in the basket, right? What do you have and what are you investing? And what is it for? It's not for faith. It's not for status. It's not to have a clean conscience and confess your crap so you're sitting pretty. It's to... Let the kingdom of God truly be at hand. It's to spread the love and joy that makes you feel loved and joyful. That is what this all is about. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. God, I knew you were fearful and huge and powerful. Thank you uh, for sending your son to die for me, but I didn't do much with it. Gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. Do we not want to bring loved ones with us up there? How, well, our faithfulness, your walk of faithfulness, it's not about you. It's not just so you can feel better. It's so as you're demonstrating a walk of faithfulness, people can say, what is different about that person? And backtrack to what Jesus did for you. And realize what he can do for them. Uh, This parable, um, okay, well this guy with the talent that was given to the master, he's a wicked and slothful servant, to hell with him. No, uh, it has nothing to do with eternal security or appointing to heaven or hell. It is hellish, it is hyperbole, it is a parable, it is a story. Um, And so if you have any theological argument that says this promotes lordship salvation or that we have to do things to get into heaven, it's wrong. Because this is a parable. It's not to be taken literally. It's a a figurative story and it's hellish hyperbole. Because faithfulness can be just as motivated by holy attributes of God as it can be by sin and gross situations. What are we clinging on to? What are we believing about ourselves? Because... A seed has been hopefully planted in our lives where we know what Jesus did for us. But there are a lot of other seeds that we can plant. There are a lot of other lies we can believe. And there are a lot of of other things we can feed ourselves. And so to understand the importance of why we're here now, uh, faithfulness, more so than self-control, more so than gentleness, I think it speaks to specifically how we ought to act while we're waiting. Okay, I have so many conversations with my girlfriend, Hannah, where I'm just like, I don't like it down here very much. I'm so ready to be up there. But we have got to be down here. We have kids in our youth group where the first thing, 10 years ago, if you were to ask a kid, uh, what is an example of sin and brokenness? um, They would probably say lying or or punching their brother, okay? They would come up with the typical questions. Now, even in the last three weeks, I'm still praying over how to deal with it. If I ask for an example of sin or brokenness, what I get is suicide. They just bring it up right away. Suicide, murder. It's, it, it, it's becoming bigger. It's becoming more definite and ultimate because this brokenness down here is atrocious. And so our walks of faithfulness Help eliminate the idea that God is still so spiritual and we can hope other people find Him. If I find somebody else in my life that's being broken, I do not want to say that's between them and God. No, it's not. You know about it. God gave that knowledge to you, it's between them, you, and God. Figure it out. Work for the kingdom. Community mindset. God gives it to you. Go out and invest it. Go out and do it. Go out and use it. If you watch Field of Dreams, you understand that this Kevin Costner guy, he's just an Iowa farmer. He's like, I need to recruit some people. I need to get some fellow lunatics who love baseball so much that they can say, I don't even like corn. Let's, let's make a baseball field. And you get like-minded people to gather, say on a Thursday night, to say, okay, now I cannot feel alone while I'm out there. That's the idea. That's why we're here. Thursday night exists for the Friday through Wednesday. I'll say it once. I'll say it a hundred times. I'll say it till I'm dead because people can come and go tonight and it does not matter. I care less if you are here right now than whether or not you're out there in this way. Faithfulness uh, is a reflection of God's character. Faithfulness is our response to what we can do while we wait to have him fully. Last thing. Faithfulness is a beautiful paradox. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, um, I want to memorize it, gosh. We're going to often be uh, hopping New Testament to Old Testament, talking about the definitions of the the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit and how we can understand it better and not look at it in a worldly lens but a biblical lens. Uh, Hebrews 11 gives you so much of the Old Testament. So the heading in my Bible is by faith. That is referring to faithfulness. Uh, What are we doing in response to the belief that we are hopefully living in accordance with? And so listen to the way that faithfulness is a beautiful paradox. Basically meaning it contradicts itself because God is awesome. He is so much bigger and badder than we are, and he has given us an opportunity to tap into something we could by no means create ourselves. Now faith, verse 1, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. uh, Verse 3, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. (laughs) That is shattering our dictionary. That is shattering our logic. That is shattering our science. Because faithfulness is humongous. It's saying God is bigger than any sort of mechanism you can put him in to test him. And any sort of way you can think about how I'm supposed to believe all these other more microscopic things when compared to this God. By faith, verse 4, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commended him by what? Accepting his gifts and through his faith though he died... He still speaks a beautiful paradox. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of what? The righteousness that comes by what? The faith. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed. Verse 9, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise. Verse 13, these all died in faith, not even having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, That is faithfulness right there. If that's not highlighted in your Bible, do it. All those people, all those Old Testament examples that so many other manuscripts and religions uphold, they all died in faith, not even having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Because faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Stop playing for the world. That's not your team anymore. Your team, and I'm sorry it's unfortunate, is one we can't see we got to discern, we got to feel it, and there are spiritual warfare tangents we can go on. It it, it gets very uh, convoluted in things we don't understand so quickly, so it's important then to be rooted in what? The faith you received in the first place. Christianity is a beautiful paradox because what a mature Christian needs is what the new Christian just got. It is the power of the gospel that frees us to understand I will never get the answers, God. I will never be okay without you. Please, please, please help me understand rewards in a healthily sound theological way. Help me understand what I'm supposed to do while I'm down here and what? Help me look at other people in life, historically factual, to get me to understand where I need to go. Flip to verse 17, Hebrews 11:17. 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested... Offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was an act of offering up his only son. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's eating. Verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. When you do things by faithfulness, the faithless cannot get to you. You are not battling that team. You're not even playing the same game anymore. And so our walk of faithfulness should be full-on recruitment. (laughs) It should be understanding that, that yes, God saved us, capital S, from hell, but he can, lowercase s, save us from all our, capital C, crap. Because God saves, Jesus saves the Christian just as much as he saves the non-Christian. That is why faithfulness exists. It's a beautiful paradox. And so as we break up into this discussion time... I want us to not just, th- these discussion questions are not just a, a debrief of things I've set up here. I don't want you to leave with the right answers of pop, you know, questions. But we're going to explore further what, what biblical faithfulness is and how we can engage each other and a community in it. And so just a, a quick caveat, I want to encourage you to study Hebrews 11. Because you are studying the Old Testament and the New Testament at the same time. You are also studying the fruit of the Spirit. And it bleeds into what? Hebrews 12 that says, Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. It's incredible. And it does a way better job than the 1989 baseball flick with Kevin Costner. Okay? Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father God, thank you so much for uh, the way you can speak to us. God, it might not be as supernatural in a cord field telling us that if we build something, you will show up. But it's true in our lives, God, that if we leave room for you to move, you will. And so I pray that we can shatter the the worldly views and expectations on how to live a Christian life because that makes no sense. That is a manual for the wrong equipment. I pray that we would start to think spiritually, that we would start to think long term, and that we would understand even when we study your word, God, it is so much more than what you did on the cross for us, but it's how we can live for you while we're down here. God, we want to be up there so bad, but we're not. God, there are people on this earth that don't even necessarily know they want to be up there, but they just know they don't want to be here to the point where they're ending their own lives. Thank you for the truth that we no longer live, but you live through us, God. I pray for Christians that struggle with depression and suicide, that they can attain the identity truth that you have already placed in their heart. They don't need to live for themselves anymore, God. And so I pray that we can be motivated by that in the lives of of pursuing others, and we can be reminded of that when it comes to the way we look at ourselves. Thank you so much for the beautiful paradox that is faithfulness in your son. I lift up our discussion time now. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So